Hello, y'all, and welcome to another recap here at Playmakers Corner. We're going to be recapping week six, and this was kind of a rough week as far as trying to make it out to games between work. One of our hosts, Mason Austin, actually hurt his ankle, so he couldn't really do too much, and Simon was feeling under the weather, so better safe than sorry. Hey, remember to be careful during uh, flu season and whatnot. Uh, wash your dang hands. But... Jumping into the episode itself, we're going to start at the middle school level with our insider information from Brandon Bordeaux, who is our insider or our reporter for the AYL Spartans. And so the Spartans were able to win their game 23 to 13, putting them at three and two. This was with quarterback being Tanner instead of DJ Bordeaux. DJ was inactive for this game. And so Tanner had a passing touchdown to Ethan Ruff, who is number 14, and also a rushing touchdown. Number 26, Sterling Dufour, who has consistently been on our radar and been a playmaker for this Spartan team, ran for about 100 yards and a rushing touchdown. And in addition to that, Sterling did find the end zone through the ground, as I said. And then on defense, the Spartans also got a safety, so... Count it up, Tanner with a passing touchdown to Ethan Ruff, a rushing touchdown, and then Sterling with a rushing touchdown puts him at 21, then defense 22-23. Brandon said that the defense gave up two pretty big plays, but outside of that, not too much else to talk about, and he's feeling very optimistic with how the offensive line performed this week, stating that it was, quote, best performance from our O-line all season, looking to build on this, end quote. And so that was the AYL Spartans game. We were trying to make it out to a Thunder game, but we just got clogged up. But from the sounds of it, Simon appears to be healthier. Mason is getting a bit more mobile. We should make it to, I think, two middle school games this Saturday in addition to a high school game, which I will talk about a lot later in the episode. But anyways, with our discussion on middle school football wrapped up from this weekend, we're going to jump into 1A where we had a lot of really big games at the 1A level this weekend. Starting on Friday, you had Yuma versus Lyman. I wanted to make it to this game. However, with Simon falling a bit ill, I did have to go out to our Mesa Ridge game, which I will talk about during the 4A segment. But anyways, Lyman took care of business over a very solid Yuma team here, and they did it with 400-plus rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns out of the backfield. Gabe Schubarth was the predominant ball carrier with over 200 yards on offense and three scores. And not to be left out of the action, senior running back Jeremiah Leeper added another 114 yards and a touchdown of his own, while Kai Bandy ran for the other touchdown of the night. And on defense, these same three fellas dominated as well with 23 tackles, including two for loss. And... You know, speaking on the Yuma behalf of things, they just had no answers for the Lyman backfield. Lyman averaged over 10 yards per carry. This is one thing that, you know, we talked about in the 1A preview that makes them so dominant up front and carries over into later in the season, postseason success, and why they are still a heavy favorite to win it all after a 34-10 to win over Yuma here. Meanwhile, Yuma... You hear Trejo, who was a playmaker of the week for the 1A level a couple weeks ago. He all but disappeared. I think he might have had like 12 yards on seven carries or something to that nature. And it was kind of all on Clay Robinson's shoulders, who 
led with 70 yards and he threw the only score that Yuma had of the night to Kevin Hermancio. But overall, it wasn't that encouraging because Clay went three of nine of passing on the night. And, you know, Lyman defensively and offensively was just way too much for this Yuma team who, you know, might still be a playoff team, but it's as far as contending goes, doesn't look like a very strong chance here following a big loss at home, I might add, to the Lyman Badgers. Another big 1A matchup, this was actually a league game, was the Ray Eagles versus the Wiggins Tigers. And, you know, this was definitely an upset, kind of headlined by Casey Midcap, the Ray quarterback. He went 9 of 13 for two scores and no interceptions while adding another 58 yards on the ground. And he was only one of four players to attempt to have a pass attempt in this game. Ray was in their bag running all kinds of real tricky, you know, reverse, fooling, play action kind of stuff and still got it done on the ground as well against this Wiggins team. So Ray brought their entire playbook here and it ended up working out for him, you know, as they pulled a win out from Wiggins. And, you know, I think this was a great win for this Ray team heading into the rest of league play against arguably you know, one of the top five teams in the state at the 1A level, this was, this was huge. And, you know, they, they were tricky, you know, Rice Peterson, he's typically a wide receiver, but he threw a five yard touchdown pass to Camden Ringle, uh, Riggleman. And, you know, they were calling all kinds of these trick plays like fake bad snap, you know, runs and all kinds of stuff like that. And the defense of Ray also stepped up big time. You had Riggleman, who had a pass breakup, Jaden Dodsworth, Chris Arumbula, all breaking up passes. Then you also had Bryant Schoenthal and Tell Wade that were forcing pressure, getting hurries, and making plays in the backfield. Overall, this defense did a lot to stifle and slow down Cole Kerr, but none were quite as successful as Brady Collins. He had 11 tackles, three and a half for loss, and two sacks on Friday night to slow down Cole Kerr, who did not have a passing touchdown through the air and only had one touchdown with his legs. You know, I wouldn't say it was a bad night. He still had 96 yards through the air and 128 yards on the ground, but it was not like this Wiggins offense to be held to only one touchdown against Ray, who, you know, had some great play from their linebackers, got good pressure, filled holes very fast, got a solid performance out of their secondary, and overall, you know, did a lot of the same kind of ball control offense on, you know what I'm saying, on the offensive side of the ball, they were able to hold on to the ball. And the Wiggins defense didn't really have a whole lot of answers either outside of the Ibrahim brothers of Mohammed and Laith, who had 25 tackles, but, you know, combined between the two. But still kept Wiggins guessing all night. And, you know, Ray, I... I've got to be honest, I'm really surprised and I'm keeping my eye on them heading into the rest of this season where they're starting to feel themselves at their home stadium and, you know, trying to make a run at this league. So congrats to Ray for, you know, pulling off that win against a huge 1A program in Wiggins who formerly looked untouchable. Continuing on this Friday night that was super busy on the 1A level, you had the Burlington Cougars and the Holyoke Dragons. 
and Holyoke, they went crazy in the secondary, forcing four interceptions on the Burlington offense with Cade Killen, Miles Sprague, Carlos Legareta, and Wyatt Sprague all getting interceptions. And that wasn't all that you heard from the Sprague brothers that night as Miles ripped off a massive touchdown run and Wyatt also found the end zone through the air. Just checking in on our Holyoke Dragons, you know, they, I think they won this game 34 to 10. No, wait, it was 34 to 12 that this Holyoke team won by. But the biggest game of this night, I would say, at least one of the most enticing and exciting ones, this took place in North Fork, you know, their home stadium, and they hosted Buena Vista. And believe it or not, despite the electric offenses that both of these teams have, it was 0-0 through the entire first half. So both the defense were playing lights out in the first half of this game. And, you know, it started with North Fork getting it going to jump out to a 14 to nothing lead in the third quarter for this North Fork team before Buena Vista rallied and scored 20 unanswered points to make this game interesting in the fourth quarter, being up 20 to 14. And that's when... Blaine Peebles from North Fork made one of the most massive plays probably in the entire North Fork season by taking a kickoff 95 yards to the house with four minutes to go in the game. And so that was pretty indicative of how this night went for North Fork. You know, their two of their three scores were massive plays, one being a 77-yard touchdown run and the other one being this 95-yard kickoff return for two of their three scores and you know both defenses came to show up or came to play you know in that first half you had seven tackles for loss an interception and pressure on Hayden Camp throughout the entire night most notably through Carter Neff who's a senior and Drayden Taylor who had 14 and 11 tackles respectively and two tackles for loss apiece so you know the North Fork offense with big plays and a consistent enough run game as well as you know special teams making some huge plays had they had a good formula for winning this football game a very close football game against Buena Vista however Buena Vista has Hayden Camp and he lives for these moments so with four minutes left in the game Hayden Camp gets another chance to score and four minutes we've we hear this said about certain quarterbacks all the time you can't give them that much time and North Fork unfortunately due to having just a massive play did and Hayden Camp drives Buena Vista down the field and finds the number one athlete and pass catcher on this Buena Vista squad in Tucker Storms for a 13-yard touchdown to make it 26 to 21 before he takes in the two-point conversion himself that is Hayden Camp to make this game 28 to 21 and that was the final score they scored with not a whole lot of time left on the clock and you know put themselves up by the normal margin of seven this was a great game by both teams and i'd love to see these teams replay in the playoffs and man buena vista for the second straight week waits until the very end of the game to make a game winning drive and sweep a win out from underneath their opponent this is part of what makes them so dangerous i think is just that 
they are used to the big moment, they are used to the pressure. And I think that this is going to be super helpful coming down the stretch and especially in the playoffs that they know that, you know, they only need four minutes to win a football game. They only need two minutes to win a football game. And so, you know, that gets me very excited for the playoffs, both for, and I don't think that this is a bad loss for North Fork. It's their first loss of the season. Buena Vista remains undefeated and keeps clawing and scratching for a high seed come these playoffs. Jumping into Saturday, there was only one really notable game on this 1A level that I'm going to talk about, and that is going to be Strasbourg versus the Highland Huskies. And, you know, Strasbourg gets its second dub in a row with Thomas Devlin, Talon Hall, and Zach Marrero all rushing for touchdowns in this game. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Wilson Ames was dominant with two sacks, three tackles for loss, and 10 total tackles. And ultimately just made Sam Hisendil's life for Highland miserable. Sam was struggling all game. He was like 13 for 30, definitely sub 50% completion percentage. Highland couldn't move the ball through the ground either. And they didn't even get to two yards per carry on the day. And, you know, Sam had to scramble around and definitely whip something up to wiggle into the end zone for their only score of the day. And other than that, the only other somewhat bright spot was Jean-Luc Barley. He caught five passes for 70, 76 yards, but they just did not hold up their end of the bargain on the offensive side of the ball. And they lose to Strasburg, you know, like 19 to six or 21 to six or seven, something like that. Three scores to one. That's just how it was for them this day. And it was a real shame because Caleb Polk had kind of a monster game with a sack, two hurries and... You know, there are three other guys with double-digit tackles, but ultimately Strasburg just overwhelmed this Highland team in basically every facet of the game and walked away with their second consecutive dub and is looking to carry this momentum kind of as far as it'll take them through the rest of the season, see if they can sneak into the playoffs. And then at that point, you potentially have Landon Martin ready to go for the playoffs for this Strasburg team. But... Once again, that does it for the 1A level. And that allows me to jump into some of the notable games on the 2A level. On Thursday, you had kind of a pretty big league game in the 2A Patriot League between University and Severance. And, you know, the final box score was 34-13. Severance coming out with a win. But up until half, this game was only 14-7. And, but that halftime adjustment from Severance proved to be too much as they made some adjustments and increased the intensity absurdly. Severance here, they won up front and that was in huge part thanks to Dom Butts, a junior who had four and a half sacks and five tackles for loss out of the seven and 12 that the entire team put up respectively. And Greg Garza just could not, he couldn't really do all that much throughout this game, if not evidenced by the total score of 13 and so university i think that they have a lot of sorting to do after getting schlacked and they have to kind of rally because the patriot league is one of the toughest leagues in the entire state in my opinion and they haven't even played the best team in it and you know their run game was ineffective their receiving yard average was not sustainable and they were bullied at every point in this game on both lines and so they have to figure something out 
Meanwhile, Severance has got to be feeling really good. They had two quarterbacks record over 110 QBR. I don't know why they switched or if there is an injury. If anyone has any inside information on that, I'd appreciate it. However, you know, their quarterback room, they threw four touchdowns to only one interception. And they did basically whatever they wanted to do to University. And, you know, for more information on University or Severance, make sure to listen to episode 70, which was the Northern Colorado program spotlight that Simon did. Thank you, Simon, so much for doing that episode. Make sure to give it a listen. He always does a really good job. Jumping into Friday's games, there's only one game that I'm going to be talking about on Friday and Saturday, but these were both involving very high-ranked teams here. You had on Friday, Basalt versus Moffat County. And, you know, Basalt was one of my picks to be kind of a contender this year. And they stumble here to Moffat County, who just was way more physical than Basalt had anticipated and more physical than I had even anticipated. And they are a team that is requested on our program spotlight. So stay tuned for that content at some point. No promises on the due date. But, you know, this Moffat County team, they forced three fumbles and they recovered all of those fumbles. And, you know, you had guys like Johnny Lopez, Miles Simpson, and Ryan Peck. You know, th those guys all had tackles for loss and were just really physical. They got low. They made hits on the football. And then you had some of their better athletes like Evan Atkin, who, you know, had a recovery and a great game on the ground against Basalt. You also had uh, Taryn Teeter and Marcus Romero, who recovered those fumbles. You had... Court Murphy, who had an interception, and Ian Hafey, who was a sophomore, he blocked a punt. So this defense and special teams overwhelmed Basalt. I did not see Basalt put stats in, which makes me a little sad. I would guess that that's because guys like Sam Sherry were shut down by this Moffat County team who, you know, remains undefeated and is trying to make a name for themselves. And it starts and ends with Evan Atkin. Like I said, he recovered a fumble and he scored all three of Moffitt's touchdowns on the ground that night. He ran it 26 times for 159 yards. And, you know, this probably puts this puts Moffitt County in a great position because I think that they beat the other toughest team in their league just now by beating Basalt. And so, you know, all they have to do at this point is not make mistakes, and they could easily end this regular season, I'd say, undefeated and get a very good seed in the playoffs. And Basalt... Basically, they have to hope and wish that some of the other teams in the league can help them out. Then on Saturday, this is one of the games of the week that I talked about last week on the Week 5 Recap, and I also put it on our Instagram, which, by the way, I'm recording this episode on October 4th, 2021, and Instagram and Facebook are down. So uh, in case they're still down, you can find us and a lot of our content on at Playmaker Corner on Twitter, because that seems to be the only thing that's working or at Playmakers Corner on TikTok for some more content. But just listen to our show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if we do end up having Instagram and Facebook working at some point again, then you could see the post of this where I talked about Academy versus Eaton. Both of these teams were undefeated. This game was in Westminster. I thought that Academy had a chance. And they didn't. They lost 42-6. to And, you know, this Academy team, I... Thought that they looked good coming into this game. They took care of business against some decent teams. They put up some good numbers. And ultimately, they the only positive thing from this game, I'd say, is that they weren't shut out. Meanwhile, Eaton has so much to be excited about. You won this game, A, 42-6, without Morgan Trebet, 
who is one of the best players in this entire program. I don't know what his status is, but they wax this team without one of their best players who, you know, gets the job done on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And they they didn't need him because Ethan Flores, who is their leading running back, he didn't find the end zone on offense even, but he did take a pick six to the house, you know, take an interception to the house against this academy team. So they were forcing turnovers on defense, but it didn't really matter when Walker Martin had an absolutely monster game going 11 for 15 for 160 yards and three passing touchdowns with another 46 yards and two scores on the ground. Walker Martin just brings a whole new wrinkle to this offense like Simon and I have talked about, you know, in games that we've seen from them in the past where they can pass and run, whereas last year they were pretty much stuck to the ground and flightless. But, you know, they are a multi-dimensional offense now. They can call multiple defenses. You still have guys like Ryder True who had solid games. Ethan Flores, even though he didn't score, still had a solid game to the ground. And you didn't even have Morgan Trebet. So, really, this Eaton team has a lot to be excited about. And still, to this point, is the favorite here at Playmakers Corner to win the state championship on the 2A level, unless proven otherwise. And, man, I just... I know that they have a game against Resurrection Christian next week, and they might have a game against Severance, I believe, but ultimately, it still doesn't look good for any of these other teams on this 2A level to even stand a chance against Eaton. Moving on to the 3A level here, you had just a couple of decent matchups on Friday night. Other than that, if, if it feels like I'm not talking about a lot of games, it's because... Either the results were pretty obvious, I would say, heading into the games, or yeah, probably just that, or they just weren't super monumental to records. But anyways, you had the Green Mountain Rams versus the Pueblo South Colts, and behind Jace Bella's arms and legs, Pueblo South has secured a victory against the Green Mountain Rams and won their last three after starting the season 0-2, Heading into league play, this is a very good look for them, and this is a very strong case for them to make a playoff push heading down the stretch of the season here. And they're able to do that as Jace ran for 99 yards and two scores while finding Ray Aragon for his one passing score of the night. And, you know, they were up 20-7 to heading into the fourth quarter here, and Green Mountain would not give up. They actually rallied for two touchdowns here, and... You know, they, they can thank Anthony DeGrazia, who had two rushing scores, and Dom Sanchez, who actually led the team with 101 rushing yards. And in addition to that, sophomore Max Choboyan uh, found the end zone on a long 61-yard receiving touchdown. So Green Mountain, you know, they rallied really hard behind a couple of very key players who either moved the chains or found found the end zone and you know, if it wasn't for a field goal in the fourth quarter from Pueblo South, you know, Green Mountain probably would have won this game. But, you know, Pueblo South, they're able to finish what they started, not blow a 20-7 to lead, and they win this game 23-21 to over Green Mountain. And I believe this was a league game for them, potentially. If not, you know, it's still a good win to have, and they are now 3-2 and after losing their first two games to Holy Family and Discovery Canyon setting up on track as long as Jace Bella remains healthy and I knock on wood because I don't want to jinx him. But as long as he remains healthy, this Pueblo South team is a lot different than they are without Jace Bella. 
In other news, you had Evergreen versus George Washington High School. And Evergreen here, I just wanted to talk about them a little bit on this episode because, well, they have shown up this season after Simon and I initially wrote them off because, you know, Griffin Loritano and Noah Wagner and Carter Casson all graduated. We all thought that this team was going to take a significant step back. However, here they are at 5-0 and after beating George Washington High School 41-23. to And it seems like, you know, the new guys are filling in pretty well. You have uh, Tommy Paholski, my bad, who went 23 of 39 for 284 yards and two scores. And also finding the end zone on a rushing touchdown. He completed passes to eight different receivers. I love this evergreen offense and how it's one of the more complex offenses in all of Colorado football. And Tommy is probably loving it too, having thrown for 11 touchdowns this season to only two interceptions. Then you had uh, Kyle Solowich. He did a great job on the defensive side of the ball. He had two interceptions himself against this George Washington team who does like to air it out quite a bit. So shout out to him for being the stud on the defensive side of the ball. But mostly I want to point out that Gabe Zimmerer, he ran for over 100 yards the fourth time this season, and he found the end zone as well for his 10th rushing touchdown this season. Overall, they are very balanced at the quarterback and running back position, and they also have a lot of playmakers at wideout who seem to have finally figured out how to catch the ball, which is something that, you know, Griffin definitely struggled with last year was, you know, those receivers able to cradle it all the way in. But they have a massive game against Lutheran High School, who is also undefeated this next week, and that'll be a real test to see how battle-ready these two players are all these younger players are. And lastly, this is barely worth mentioning. I didn't even look at the stats because the score said enough. I was following it on Friday night when I went to another game, but Roosevelt obliterated Glenwood Springs to the tune of 42 to zero. Shout out to those boys at Glenwood Springs for trying, but Roosevelt, they are dang good and they have a massive game coming up next week, which I will talk about once again at the end of the episode when I do a little quick week seven games to watch. That kind of does it for this rather short 3A segment. It's time to jump into 4A now and we are going to start at the Palmer Ridge versus Montrose game. And gosh, programs need to upload their stats onto max preps. Holy cow, it's literally not that hard. But anyways, uh, the only stats I could find on this game was Palmer Ridge's. But Montrose, you know, they beat Palmer Ridge in their own house. And they did it behind a solid defense and a, you know, power T motion running offense, which is kind of disappointing. But anyways, for the defense, you know, Montrose, they forced two interceptions and also recovered a fumble in this game. So they were playing very well in the secondary. They were also were very solid up front, holding Palmer Ridge to under four yards of carry, which is almost, I, I haven't seen that in a long time, other than probably the Loveland game, uh, where they just couldn't really get the running game going. And I think Montrose tried to follow a really similar pattern to Loveland, where they played lots of ball control. They gashed them with these power T formations, looks, and motions, and, you know, occasionally did a play-action boot. I do not like this Montrose offense. I don't think that they're a contender on this 4A level after seeing what their offense is necessarily. But 
it is good to remain undefeated and you know they have a they have a consistent run game and a stout defense that you know overwhelmed this Palmer Ridge uh defense or offense and defense I'd say on both sides of the ball you know this game does not seem to be after watching some highlights as close as the score indicates 28 to 21 but Montrose felt very in control they were running for like eight yards at a time from the highlights I could see and yeah they just it felt like Montrose was in control for a lot of this game behind you know just the power T working basically every single play and between you know a defense that forced a lot of turnovers in other 4A news you had Broomfield versus Windsor and speaking of defense Broomfield wrote an incredible performance from their defense to their second win of the season this included a 13 solo, 17 total tackle performance from Charlie Nevin on the Broomfield side of the ball. And you also had Bode Hogan, who had 13 total tackles, nine of which were solo from this game. And Tristan Caudill, who recorded a safety for this Broomfield team. Now, overall, this Broomfield won this game, and that's what matters. And hopefully, you know, their offense and their defense get clicking at the same time here. Their offense wasn't as explosive as one may have hoped I'd say against a Windsor team that is now reeling you know we we talk about it Windsor is one of those teams that's always going to play you tough and Broomfield came out and you know played tougher than Windsor you know so I think that th that's that's a huge testament for this Broomfield team and you know I think that it's going to be exciting watching the Broomfield offense down the stretch here where you know you had five different people who had four plus carries in this game and you know you got to wonder if this different rushing attack or you know this more balanced approach might yield better results for cola crew heading down the stretch of this league play as for the windsor side gotta give some respect where or give some credit where credit is due zach bleck who you know is a defender for windsor he had three pass breakups this game and you know i say is a huge reason that broomfield did not score a touchdown through the air this game and then you also had to give tip your hat i tip my hat to dax polka you know he had 25 carries for 115 yards and windsor's only touchdown of the night windsor i think that they're sol uh if you don't know what that means then look it up because i can't explain it on the air but you know i think that their season is more than on life support here and Broomfield gets a must win before heading into an even tougher little stretch of the season here. <clears throat> Moving from, you know, Northern Colorado down to Southern Colorado, you had Pine Creek versus Legend. And this was a game that was super exciting, super back and forth, and went down literally into the last minute of this game. But let's just jump into the order of events here. Legend, they jumped out to a 14 to nothing lead behind a potent running game and an efficient performance from their quarterback. But then Jojo Roy, the quarterback for Pine Creek and one of the top quarterbacks of the senior class, he found Braden Kramer for a 70-yard touchdown to make it a one-score game once again. However, Legend responds and scores. And so with six minutes to go in the second quarter, Gavin Wetzel gets open and catches a touchdown to make it 12 to 20. And, you know, 
you have Bryce Vaz for legend doing what he always does, and that's be a playmaker and, you know, rip off a big play. He gets a 60-yard run to put legend up 26-13. to 13. And Pine Creek, you know, they get the ball back with not that much left in the half and drive straight down and get a field goal just before the half ends to make it 26-16 to 16, heading into the half. Then you have the playmaker once again, Jojo Roy. He found the end zone with his legs this time and made it a 26 to 23 game here in the third quarter. And that's where the scoring would stop. You know, both these defenses stepped up here in the fourth quarter and forced the opposing team to have a turnover on downs. But this legend defense went the extra mile and they, they halted Pine Creek's undefeated season. They, actually got an interception from Pierce Kirchner to end the game with like two minutes left and send Pine Creek home with a loss. Granted, Pine Creek was the home team. But anyways, you know, this isn't time to panic for Pine Creek. This is not a bad loss to have, but there are things to learn. They got to do better in the secondary. They let legend senior Jackson Brush ball out. He had five catches for 122 yards and two scores. And, you know... Their defense and special teams, they had a pretty decent game outside of the 60-yard run by Bryce Vaz. And, you know, they had nine tackles for loss with Kale Reeves Dunbar having three of his own. But they were just outplayed by this legend offense, led by Colton Warner, who had one of the best games probably of his career against one of the best opponents, at least one of the most talented defenses in the state on any level. He completed 65% of his passes for the two scores, both to Jackson Brush, and was aided by Bryce Vaz, who had a 60-yard run and found Pater one other time. And, you know, I think that Legend, they kind of kept Pine Creek in this game by having missed PATs and blocked kicks. But ultimately, they buckled down behind the efforts of Melo Castro, who had 16 tackles on this defensive ball, and Pierce Kirchner, as I said, who was quiet for the majority of the game, but he ended up making the biggest play of the game by picking off Roy with just under two minutes to go to stop Pine Creek from tying it up with a field goal or getting a touchdown to win it. You know, obviously, this is a really tough pill to swallow for Jojo Roy here, who did throw the interception at the end of the game. But, you know, I think without Jojo Roy, that Pine Creek isn't really in this game in the first place, seeing as how he was responsible in some way, shape, or form for all of Pine Creek's scoring. So, you know, Jojo Roy, I, I know that this is a tough loss and a tough pill, but, you know, you just got to move on to the next game and be ready for your next opponent. And Legend, you know, they're a team that consistently has very solid athletes on both sides of the ball, and that's what takes them to a victory here against Pine Creek to make Pine Creek take their first L of the season. Speaking of delivering Ls, Bear Creek actually got to play at Jeffco Stadium against Dakota Ridge to receive their L. They didn't have to go too far. And Dakota Ridge showed that them and Bear Creek and probably no one else in the Jeffco League are built the same. Outside of Ryan Segovia on this Bear Creek team, it's hard for them to be happy with how this game went. They lost this game 52-13. to And gosh, they, they got gashed by all of the best players on Dakota Ridge's team. So I'm just gonna jump over 
to Dakota Ridge after mentioning that Ryan Scovia had 21 carries for 110 yards and a score. One of like literally two scores for Bear Creek all game. But Dakota Ridge is who we thought they were. And they look the best out of all the contenders that we discussed on the 4A level. They were mobbing this past Friday night. Noah Triplett did his thing to the tune of 143 yards from scrimmage and two scores. And, you know, he was a highlight. Matthew Orr had a pick six to help the Eagles fly high and improve to 6-0. But ultimately, one of the biggest candidates for the 4A player of the week was Dante Capolungo. He had two carries for 18 yards and a touchdown. He had four receptions for 128 yards and a touchdown. He had four pass deflections, six tackles, two interceptions, and one of them was a pick six on the day. So Dante Capolungo, he... He liked the number six this past Friday night with six touches on offense for 146 yards and two scores, both being worth six points apiece. He had the six tackles on the defensive side of the ball. He had a pick six on this side of the ball and one other interception and four pass deflections. The Bear Creek team just did not learn. They kept trying Dante and Dante made them pay for it. I was surprised to not see him also rack up a score on special teams, seeing as how he does that almost every week. But it didn't matter. He did more than enough damage, even on one side of the ball, for Dakota Ridge to easily win this game. It was their first league game, and the rest of the league should be on notice that Dakota Ridge is not here to play, and they were not experiencing flukes this season. They are legit, and they are here and ready to take this Jeffco League for themselves. Last but not least, we have, which was the play, or what am I saying? It was the game of the week for Playmakers Corner, and that was Mesa Ridge Grizzlies versus Fountain Fort Carson Trojans, and I was actually able to attend this game, so I'm going to take you through my notes that I made throughout the game and then come up with a quick summary here at the end. As this game goes on, the, I'll, I'll spoil it, but the final score was 7-0, to both teams played great defensive efforts and it actually started off this way you know Desmond Burton for Mesa Ridge he had a huge pass breakup on a deep ball that he was initially beat on he showed good makeup speed there then you have number 10 on Fountain Fort Carson missing a tackle whenever they switch over but Fountain Fort Carson overall they have one of the best and most exciting defenses to watch in the entire state and that's in huge part thanks to number 33 linebacker slash running back Ty Faave, who had a great game himself. And, you know, they also have two of the best defensive backs from last season. You know, we talked about them on our preview in Jaden Allen and Curtis Jackson, both making teams in the defensive game and, you know, in special teams. But I think that, you know, number 23, Lawrence Walker, a.k.a. LJ Walker, he was the stickiest defender out there. He was tested constantly against Cash Carver for, or Cash Cheeks, my bad, Cash Cheeks for this Mesa Ridge team and only got beat once and it was a really close catch. It was a very competitive ball, but he was constantly tested in one-on-one -on -one deep balls and made so many pass breakups. He was incredible on this night. Then number three was the quarterback for Fountain Fort Carson, and he just did not play a very good game at all, in my opinion. He made a lot of bad decisions. He played 500 a lot. And, you know, Mesa Ridge, 
intercepted this dude like three or four times. But it didn't really matter. Overall, <laughs> three was missing things as easy as bubble passes. I think that Noah for Mesa Ridge is a better quarterback. But this Fountain Fort Carson defensive line was so dominant against this Mesa Ridge. This Mesa Ridge offensive line was basically a cup that has a hole drilled out of the bottom of it. They could not keep anything out. And it was it was just hard to watch, really, because Fountain Fort Carson's line was so dominant on both sides of the ball. And there was just not a whole lot that Mesa Ridge could do about it. I think that Fountain Fort Carson probably should have won this game by a lot more if their quarterback wasn't so bad at decision-making or if they kicked field goals. They went for it on like fourth and seven or eight twice in the red zone. And I, I saw the kicker kick a PAT later in the game. He definitely could have made both of the kicks they that they decided not to go for. But instead, they go for it on fourth one time and the quarterback throws an interception to like triple coverage to cash. Carver gets an interception. Number 11 gets an interception against this guy. Like, he was terrible all night and not making a lot of good decisions. In his defense, there were two dropped touchdown passes in the very first. I believe it was number 11 and number 12 for Fountain Fort Carson. They were really sorry. So nobody on the Fountain Fort Carson team themselves actually wanted to do well through the passing game. However, number 21 played very well and number 33 both out of the backfield they actually got a touchdown once they ran a wildcat formation with both of those guys potentially getting the ball and you know that was the creme de la creme of the night ultimately i think that 33 was probably the player of the game he was everywhere on the defensive side of the ball and i think that the biggest play for mesa ridge of the night happened when he wasn't on the field so there's that and also, I'm going to take a quick moment to call out some of the Mesa Ridge parents who were happy about Ty being hurt. There's no room for that in high school sports. And if that's going to be your attitude and you're going to be toxic, just stay home. You should not be rooting for these literal children to be getting hurt. So shame on you. You know who you are over there at Mesa Ridge. And honestly, screw you. That's how I feel about that. But anyways, it didn't matter. Mesa Ridge still lost this game, and I'm pretty glad that they did after their fans were being so toxic. So take that L on the way out at your home on your home turf against Fountain Fort Carson, a team that probably could have beat you or should have beat you 28 to nothing. But luckily, the ineptitude of their quarterback kept you in the game. Overall, Fountain Fort Carson, I feel bad that this defense is a contending level defense but their offense will just not be enough for them to contend on the 4A level, in my opinion. And Mesa Ridge is in a pretty tough spot now, falling down to 500 on the season. So that's what happened at the Mesa Ridge versus Fountain Fort Carson game. Overall, I was really glad to go out and see it. You also had Nine News and Fox News out there covering the game. It was a pretty big game in the community, but Fountain Fort Carson leaves with a 7 to nothing win. Last but not least, we will be talking 5A football. And it started on Thursday night in the pouring rain, or at least after a major rainstorm at parts, with Rock Canyon versus Thunder Ridge. This was a very sloppy game uh, through the ground for both these teams who combined for five turnovers. Like I said, it was raining pretty hard either during the game or earlier in the day. And, you know, the scoring went back and forth 
until Thunder Ridge managed to score a touchdown with five minutes to go in the third, and they would not lose the lead for the rest of the night. However, I want to mention that Rock Canyon got PATs blocked and failed two-point conversions all night. They did not convert a single point after touchdown, and I think this game is very different if they actually, you know, can kick a PAT because they, you know, they, they were in a position where they could have been at a tied game instead of down by three. That's how bad it was that night. And they ended the game only scoring 18 points. And part of that comes with the Thunder Ridge defense. They actually helped Thunder Ridge win the turnover battle and also forcing a turnover on downs in the fourth quarter that allowed the offense to get the ball and make it a two possession game, you know, putting them up by, I believe it was nine points against Rock Canyon. And, you know, the headline of this game for Thunder Ridge has to be Seth Frazier once again, who threw for two and ran for two. So he had a hand in all of the touchdowns for Thunder Ridge. I normally would be concerned with a 41% completion rate. However, I'm going to chalk this up to the elements mainly on this one. But what I'm basically trying to say is Seth Frazier is vulnerable. He's not invincible, as we found out in the Arapahoe game and also from notes in this Rock Canyon game. On, on the Rock Canyon side of things, I do want to give a shout out to Crow Bernie, who ran for 150 yards on 18 carries and kept Rock Canyon in this game down the stretch with some very big runs. He ripped off a few long touchdowns, but, you know, ultimately Rock Canyon fumbled with about eight minutes to go in this game, and that essentially ended any chance they had of winning this football game uh, because of the momentum and just the setting and the environment. So Rock Canyon drops another game. Meanwhile, Thunder Ridge moves on to 5-1, and one, and that is a win for league play as they look to win this league, potentially. Moving on to the Centennial League, you had Grandview versus Smoky Hill. This was a very defensive game until Grandview opened it up in the second half, and that was on the heels of Liam Zarka, who had a rushing and passing touchdown Meanwhile, the Smoky Hill quarterback, Tyleek Bowers, he struggled against this Grandview secondary who had four breakups from their seniors, and he only completed 30% of his passes, which is just unfortunate that this Grandview secondary is that good. Also on the defense for Grandview, you had Gibson Leaf Green. He had 16 tackles, including four for loss. Caden Rulo, you know, he continued to do his thing for the secondary, and he had breakups and plays in the run game. But that puts Smoky Hill in a must-win situation against Eagle Crest to try and keep their head above water. They are currently 3-3 three and three heading into this next game. Eagle Crest, by the way, lost to Arapahoe 35-14. But as for the biggest game on the 5A level, it was easily the Arvada West Wildcats versus the Columbine Rebels. And Columbine was looking to get back into the win column here following a tough loss to Valor last week. And so they came out swinging and they snatched a 14 to nothing lead between two behind, I should say, two Seth Cromwell touchdowns. Arvada West managed to, you know, sneak in a score here to make it 7 to 14. But Tyree Hayes Trust, the guy who is basically like clockwork for popping off a big run, he popped off, I believe it was a 58 yard touchdown run to return to a 14 point lead for Columbine. Columbine always goes up and down with Seth Cromwell and Tyree Hayes trust, but really 
on this 5a level you have to have more options and you have to have a passing game to win football games and they simply did not have that this game as Arvada West scored 17 unanswered points and blocked a Columbine field goal attempt to you know make this make this an actual football game and end up winning this and this game really went down to the wire and Columbine probably should have won this game as they were up 21 to 17 you know with with a punt with like 23 seconds left I think it was and they ended up losing this game because their special teams failed them very bad this game. They had two punts that were blocked over the course of this game, and they also allowed one 35-yard punt return. And so Arvada West ends up getting the ball on Columbine's 28-yard line with 20 seconds left, and that was more than enough time as Ethan Cook found a receiver in the end zone and snuck a win out from under Columbine. And Columbine, you know, they are showing all of the problems that Simon and I saw with them to begin the season. They've lost consecutive games and they're just cursed with a single dimension on offense and they're without a passing game. So, and in addition, the special teams was embarrassing this game. As I mentioned, they had a blocked field goal, two punts blocked. I wonder if they even have 11 people out there or if they're paying attention on the sideline. Somebody needs to figure it out. I think the head coach needs to step it up both in the play calling on the offensive side of the ball and they need to step it up in the special teams part of the game because they lost two facets of this game and that ultimately cost them and the special teams one ended up being the more important one where you could have had a tie game 24-24 if Arvada West scored or you know maybe if you punt it down the field you know onto the other side of the 50 and you keep it over there maybe that keeps Arvada West out of the end zone and you win this game 21-17 but you failed you failed straight up on both accounts and you know it's it's really the same two guys that i get to talk about every week with king cromwell and trusty combining for 260 yards in all three of their scores with cromwell tallying another 14 tackles and two sacks on defense but overall arvada west plays a more exciting and a more complete game and is the opposite of columbine and i think that's what helps them win you know on offense it does concern me that only ethan cook is running the football and that they throw basically every play of the game but, you know, they they were in their bag of tricks here. They had Brian Witherspoon, who's typically a wide receiver, throw a 58-yard touchdown pass on a trick play. And not to be outdone by his own skill position players, Ethan Cook went 17 of 28 for 289 yards and two passing touchdowns, including the game winner. You know, you had playmakers like Ian Lee, who had a... 72 yards and a receiving touchdown on five catches and also a punt return for 35 yards in the special teams part of the game to help turn the tide of this and i think that the receiver who also shined magnificently was drew martinez he had seven catches for 147 yards and two scores and was uncoverable for this columbine defense and so arvada west has got to be feeling great about this performance they had against one of the top teams in the state especially after losing the way they did to Creek. This has got to bounce them back and they got to be feeling significantly better heading into the next week that that they have and heading into league play. Meanwhile, Columbine losing two in a row. Championship teams don't do that. Championship teams don't lose two in a row, much less, you know, to, to Arvada West. Granted, these were both road games, but this does not put Columbine in a good spot to have you know home field advantage in some of the more important rounds of the playoffs 
and you know they they have a few weeks to ask for some help basically for some of these top teams to lose like an arvada like a valor like a cherry creek like a you know arapaho even and a grandview they need some help from other teams in the state to end up with a decent spot and uh yeah that's kind of where columbine is sitting like i said they are who who simon and i thought they were they're a decent team in the regular season. They're going to win football games. They're going to win playoff games. But ultimately, I do not see them as a contender for state, especially, especially, especially after this loss to Arvada West. Coming up next, I will be talking about players of the week and also diving in to our, you know, preview for next week. Coming up. Hi, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Stoffer, and we are about to go through our players of the week from this past week. Starting at the 1A level, you have Brady Collins out of Ray High School. He was integral to the upset over Wiggins High School, where he recorded 11 tackles, 3.5 for loss, and 2 sacks against Cole Kerr. And so a huge shout out to Brady Collins, as well as that entire Ray Eagles team and their win against Wiggins High School. Continuing on into 2A, I am going to give the 2A Playmaker of the Week to Evan Atkin of Moffat County. Moffat did face off against an undefeated Basalt team in a big time league game at the 2A level. And Evan not only recovered a fumble on defense and contributed there, but he scored all three of Moffitt's touchdowns on the ground, going 26 carries for 159 yards to be arguably the toughest opponent in their entire league on 2A level. The 3A Playmaker of the Week is going to be Jace Bella out of Pueblo South in a big-time game to push Pueblo South over 500. Jace ran for two touchdowns and also threw one being responsible for all three of Pueblo South's touchdowns that night, as well as running for 99 yards and passing for a few. So congratulations to Jace Bella and the Pueblo South Colts for winning three games in a row and to Jace for winning the Playmaker of the Week on the 3A level. I'm sure you could have guessed this one, but my 4A Player of the Week, there was maybe two options, maybe three options. But you cannot outperform Dante Capalungo in this game against Bear Creek. It was the first league game for Dakota Ridge, and it was their homecoming game. And Dante literally did it all. He made a very strong claim to be the best senior cornerback in the entire state of Colorado with four pass deflections, six tackles, two interceptions, including a pick six. And on the offensive side, showed that he is a big-time threat with six touches for 146 yards and two touchdowns. So he scored basically every way that you possibly could other than special teams, which he does, you know, basically every other game. But yeah, poor Bear Creek. They tried Dante too many times, and he made them pay with two interceptions and four pass deflections putting in one of the best, if not the best, week by a cornerback this entire season. And then on the offensive side, he proved uncoverable as a wide receiver, getting those four receptions for 128 yards. And he also did it 
in the handoff and running game way as well with the two carries for 18 yards and a score. So three touchdowns to boot over 200 total yards. Once you include the interception return yards and just an overall massive impact in this big game against Bear Creek to prove that Dakota Ridge is the top dog here in the state of Colorado. And last but not least, I have to give it to Drew Martinez on the 5A level for Arvada West. He had seven catches for 147 yards and two touchdowns in this game as Arvada West, in my opinion, upsets the Columbine Rebels, especially after starting down 14 to nothing and eventually being down 20 to 7. Drew Martinez lit it up and I give it to him over uh, Ethan Cook. Unfortunately, just because Ethan didn't throw every passing touchdown, I know that's not his fault, but Drew Martinez was just way too much for this Columbine secondary, and it is a very good defense that this entire Arvada West offense found success against. So congratulations to all of those players of the week, and I'm going to just read through them one more time. You have on the 1A level Brady Collins from Ray, Evan Atkin from Moffitt, Jace Bella from Pueblo South, Dante Capolongo from Dakota Ridge, and Drew Martinez from Arvada West. And to wrap up this episode, I am going to talk some notable games for next week. And we are going to actually start once again in the Jeffco area as 4-2 Bear Creek takes on 5-1 Chatfield once again in a league play kind of scenario. You also have Aurora Central facing off against Vista Peak Prep. Aurora Central being 5-1 and one, and Vista Peak Prep being 4-2. and two. That is at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday. Rocky Mountain, who is 4-2 against Fairview, who is 3-3 three three at 7 p.m. You have a pretty big Centennial League game here as Cherokee Trail faces Arapahoe High School at 7 p.m. You have 4-0 Fort Morgan versus 3-2 Niwot. Mountain Vista at 3-3 will try and upset the 5-1 Thunder Ridge Grizzlies. On Thursday, you also have 3-3 Pomona versus 6-0 Ralston Valley. 2-3 Canyon City will travel down to Pueblo South, who is 3-2. And last but not least, you have Lakewood High School at 3-3 facing off against Columbine, who is 4-2, and trying to snap this two-game losing streak that they are currently on. Those are the notable Thursday games. On Friday, you have a 4-2 Fruita Monument versus a 5-1 Fountain Fort Carson, which was a part of our game of the week last week. So you have some seriously good defensive and offensive battle going here. You also have 6-0 Valor Christian facing off against 5-1 Castleview. You have the... North Fork folks fang, facing off against 3-2 and two Meeker. North Fork just learning, losing their first game of the year recently against that Buena Vista team. You have 5-1 and one Palmer Ridge and 5-1 and one Ponderosa. That should be a very good for a matchup. 3-2 and two Yuma versus 4-1 and one Wiggins, which is a game that I am planning on attending so I can get a live look at Cole Kerr as well as Yahir Trejo. Both teams coming off of pretty tough losses, so they're both going to be pretty hungry this week. 
In addition, on Friday, you also have a matchup between Grandview and Cherry Creek, who are both 5-1. This will be a monumental game as far as determining who will win the Centennial League for sure. You also have 4-2 Pueblo West traveling to 3-3 three three Mesa Ridge. As I stated earlier in this episode, you have 5-0 Lutheran versus 5-0 Evergreen. Evergreen looking to prove themselves worthy of a top 10 ranking in the 3A class. And Lutheran looking to hold on to that number one spot, facing off against another undefeated team. You also have 4-0 Meade going to Johnstown to face 5-0 Roosevelt. Simon Villanos and Coach Mason Austin will be at that game. That is going to be our game of the week, that 3A matchup between two of the top three ranked teams in all 3A. Continuing to travel north, you have University versus the Academy. University being 3-2, the Academy at 4-1. You also have Steamboat Springs versus Eagle Valley. Both teams only have one loss on the entire season. You have Arvada West, who's 5-1, facing off against Mullen, who's 2-4 in a league game. 4-1 Ray, who just came off that win against Wiggins, will be facing 4-1 Holyoke, who just came off that big-time win against Burlington High School. Broomfield, 2-4, will face Silver Creek, who is 3-3. That's at 7 p.m. You have the battle for the 2A Southwest Conference between Bayfield High School and Alamosa. If you have not heard anything about those teams, please make sure to double back to my episode that was the 2A Southwestern Conference preview. Both these teams have only lost one game, and basically, well, their league's better than anyone else than 2A Southwest. So keep an eye out for these two teams come Friday night. And... In addition, that is actually going to be it for all the interesting Friday games. As I said, I will be at the Wiggins game, and Simon and Mason will be at the game for Meade and Roosevelt. On Saturday, there's not too much going on, I would say, that garners a lot of attention, other than you have Regis Jesuit traveling to Legend High School. Regis being 4-2, and two, Legend being 5-1. and one. That's going to be at 1 p.m., on Saturday afternoon. You have three and two Glenwood Springs on a bit of a skid versus Summit High School. Flatirons Academy four and one travels up to Northern Colorado to face off against Highland who is three and three. And you have a big game that we will also attend being Douglas County at Pine Creek High School. Douglas County is currently undefeated at six and oh. Pine Creek is currently five and one. And last but not least, you have arguably the biggest matchup of the entire Patriot League schedule with 4-0 Resurrection Christian traveling to 5-0 Eaton to see if anyone is even capable of knocking Eaton off the pedestal that they're on. And that is actually going to do it for this entire week 6 recap, week 7 preview. And just as a reminder, if Instagram and Facebook ever come back to life, please make sure to find us at Playmakers Corner on either of those and give us a follow there where we will post pretty regularly content, whether it's on our timeline or whether it's on the actual page itself. We also have a Twitter at Playmaker Corner. And once again, reminder to athletes, please make a Twitter. We love tagging you in things whenever you make big plays as we do the live game updates. So please have a Twitter and make it easy to find, I guess, is a, is a decent thing to advise. And then also be sure to find us on TikTok at Playmakers Corner. And if you see us, Please feel free to introduce yourselves as we can get your name out there and break down your film at a later time. 
But that will do it from Cody Stoffer here on this episode of Playmakers Corner. Peace out.